And and for those of you who are listening and can't see this, uh, Matt is doing the famous <laughs> "I'm not worthy" <laughs> Wayne's World that. thing oh to Romeo. <laughs> Oh, that's fucking funny. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to the Matt Brown Show. This podcast is powered by Matt Brown Media. And I'm proud to bring you the stories of entrepreneurs who are hustling today's markets and creating great things in their own lives and in the world of business. So one of the goals for the year for me was to get all the sharks from the hit TV series, The Shark Tank, onto the Matt Brown show. And so in this episode, I'm thrilled to bring you two of them and in one sitting for a bit of a shark feeding frenzy. And it should come as no surprise that the steel toe caps are on the other foot in this episode, so to speak. It is the Matt Brown show after all. <laughs> because in this episode, I'm the one doing the grilling of Gil Oved and Romeo Kamalo. But enough of that shock music malarkey. Here's why this episode is so important. Gil is the co-CEO of South Africa's largest agency, the Creative Council. And in 2015, he sold the company along with Rand Neuer to the publicist group for over a billion rand, which represented the largest deal of its kind on the African continent. Romeo Kamala is the former CEO of Vodacom, one of South Africa's largest telecommunications company, and he is currently the CEO and co-founder of Washrika Holdings, a pan-African investment holding and private equity company with investments that span the property, green energy, and ICT sectors. When I finally managed to secure them for an interview, I was racking my brain about what to ask them. And after much contemplation, I realized that there was actually only one subject to speak to them about. And that subject was this. Can entrepreneurship fix South Africa's economy? While there are different opinions on this, Gil and Romeo are uniquely positioned to provide their opinions and expert guidance on the subject simply because of their unique positions and experience in the South African business space. This is a jam-packed episode filled with comments and views from these two guys that you are highly unlikely to find in the mainstream media. And this is a big reason why I do this podcast for the community of entrepreneurs in South Africa, because we simply are not having these kinds of conversations enough. So without further ado, enter Gil Oved and Romeo Kamalo. Hey guys, welcome back to the Matt Brown Show. As luck would have it, I have two um, sharks, I suppose, and there's a little bit of a backstory to this. So one of my goals for the year is to get all the sharks onto the Matt Brown Show. I've had Vinnie Lingham, I've had Manus Brotrake, and I've got two of them in, this, in, the, in uh, the Creative Council's office, Gil's office, so to speak. So get, guys, say how's it? Hi, everyone. It's Romeo Kamalo here. Good to be on the Matt Brown Show. Uh, we've been uh, looking forward to this moment. So it's uh, Gil Ovet on the other side. Two sharks grilling you, or you're going to be grilling us? How does this work? Uh, either way, I can I can take it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get cracking and get into the meat and potatoes. So I've got a, an interesting question to cue this off. Um, and uh, I suppose before we dive into it, I want to just um, I want to talk to you guys today about the burning platform. And the burning platform today is can entrepreneurship fix South Africa's economy? Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today. But just to uh, to, to do a little bit of an icebreaker here. Um, what was the greatest lesson that your father's ever taught you? Uh, for me, patience. Um, I'm a very impatient person. Obviously, want things to happen quickly. Wants you know dreams to come true very quickly. But um, and given my background, you know, my dad was always you know be patient. Your time will come. It's a cycle. This thing, you know, eventually your time comes. You know, don't always compare yourself to others and want things to happen in a rush. And so. Um, you know, patience is is everything because f for someone like me who who wants to you know just get on with it and you know things must happen very quickly and you know things must be achieved, things must be done. So yeah, my dad, I think you know it's it's all about patience and and waiting for your time in the universe. My dad um, is an engineer by profession, and um, I think uh, growing up, you always found that uh, my wild, crazy ideas and visions and dreams and fantasies were wild and crazy and every time i used to come to him with an idea he would give me a million one reasons why they wouldn't work and he was always right by the way 
But the thing about entrepreneurs, which uh, he isn't, is that they're not very good at being realists. They don't see the problems always. They kind of see a rosier view of reality. And when they get to those problems, they just find a way around it generally, which is what I did. But here's the mad part. I started and failed in a few businesses before the Creative Council. And every time that I'd go to him with another attempt, even though he may not have agreed with my fantasy, he would encourage me to pursue it nonetheless, which I always found kind of strange. It was kind of uh, paradoxical because he would see these mistakes coming up and he would still encourage me to go and pursue my dreams and my passions. And if it weren't for that, if it weren't for my parents doing that, I certainly wouldn't have started the Creative Council and I wouldn't have been here. Great stuff. Um, so let's dive straight into the meat and potatoes, right? So let's, let's talk about it. Can, is the, I mean, what is your honest opinion? Do you think entrepreneurs can fix South Africa's economy, broadly speaking? Um, I, I think the question is wrong. Can, can entrepreneurs fix the economy? My answer is they can save the economy. In fact, they are the only things that will truly save our economy. We've got a lot of challenges, as do many countries, and everyone needs to pull together to find solutions. And I think, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm critical of private business in that they don't do enough. I think government is strained um, and their balance sheet is weak. Private enterprise, even with all the things that we complain about, you know, as, as corporate South Africa, we actually have strong balance sheets uh, with good governance, and we need to do more as private enterprise to work with government and to inspire, grow, and mentor entrepreneurs. Because at the end of the day, the only group of individuals that create real employment in the country uh, is entrepreneurs. It's not corporates. Corporates are looking to cut jobs. That's, that's what corporates do. But entrepreneurs create jobs, and they do that through innovation. And they can be nimble and agile sufficiently to innovate and, in the process, create employment. And, and what's more important is they very often create employment in roles that never existed before. Not necessarily commoditized employment, but new style employment. As an example, we invested in a company called Papa Media. When we started with them, they were a social media agency. They then transformed to become a social media tech company. And the roles and the job titles of the 100 people employed by Papa Media didn't exist three years ago. They invented the titles, invented the roles, and now these people have jobs. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm looking for. Ramia, what are your thoughts? Look, I mean, innovation is the key driver to business growth. And when you look at the the unemployment epidemic in South Africa, it can all be it can only be solved by entrepreneurship, uh, because you need businesses that are, are scalable, businesses that create jobs. But for me, you know, entrepreneurship is the only answer to the unemployment epidemic uh, that we have in South Africa. You know, they talk about structural unemployment. Uh, it doesn't apply in entrepreneurship. You know, structural unemployment is that people are not employable in the, in, in the formal sector. But structural unemployment doesn't exist when you're an entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is about innovation. It's about growth. It's about creating employment and businesses where there's none. And so for me, South Africa... Uh, can do well by creating the right conducive environment for entrepreneurship to thrive. And so the answer to you is yes, 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 yes. Entrepreneurship is the answer to South Africa's unemployment epidemic. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, 
unlocks all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Can we talk about the state of entrepreneurship? So when I had Manus um, on the show, I was recounting to him because I watched the show um, uh, last year, I think it was, and <clears throat> I was, I, I, I've, my sense was that the the quality of entrepreneur of the pitches, I guess. Um, I said to him, were you impressed with the quality of the pitches? And he said, look, Matt, actually it's indicative of the state of South Africa at the moment. Do you agree with those sentiments, Romeo? Oh, absolutely. You know, just coincidentally, I, I saw uh, someone this morning, I had a group of youngsters coming to pitch to me uh, this morning in my office because, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend says, you must see them. They've got a fantastic idea. And, you know, three young guys with uh, smart, you know, very smart with uh, fantastic uh, ideas about taking over the world. But you can see that the quality of their thinking, the quality of um, their research is just nowhere near where it should be in terms of investing in that business. So it's just like reliving Shark Tank again. Um, and, and it just tells you about the state of entrepreneurship in South Africa. There's no shortage of great ideas, no shortage of innovation, but kind of clear thinking about what people need to do to make those ideas happen and the discipline to do the work to get the idea to be a, a business, to be a scalable business, to be an investable business. To, to complement what Romeo is actually saying is, I think, the, I agree, there's no shortage of good ideas, but actually I just don't think good ideas are that important. And certainly not when you start. You know, we talk about a good idea. That's step one of 100,000 steps, okay? And everyone spends... Like imagine you had to climb 100,000 steps for success to, to achieve success. And just imagine there's a group of people all looking at the first step, all staring at it, trying to think about how do they get over step one. I'm like, China, as soon as you have, then you've still got another 99,999,000 steps to worry about. Why aren't you talking about that? And, and so for me, it's way more important to think about the execution and the delivery. And there, entrepreneurship in South Africa is lacking. So we've got the spirit and the will and the culture and the determination. I see entrepreneurial spirit everywhere. I, you just have to stop at any intersection in Joburg. And you see guys, the guys who are selling stuff, like therein lies huge entrepreneurship, okay? Because somehow miraculously, it always boggles me how they get the zeitgeist of of South Africa so right. Soon as spring rains appear, all of a sudden the guys are selling umbrellas. Okay, there's, there's a big, uh, a big like, uh, you know, uh, rugby match. The guys are selling South African flags. Okay, ESCOM lights out. The guys are selling, you know, battery operated or solar, solar operated uh, lanterns. So the, the entrepreneurship is there. But the difference between us and entrepreneurial cities like San Fran, London, New York, Tel Aviv, Singapore, is that there is an infrastructure that facilitates those, that first step and takes it from that first step, which is only an, what an entrepreneur can do, and helps guide you on how to walk the rest of the steps to 100,000 steps. There are incubators. There are seed funders. There are angel investors. There are training academies. There are organizations and social groups and all of these entities work in unison to help an entrepreneur go from step one to a hundred thousand. And the thing about being an entrepreneur in South Africa is it's just so hard to just get your idea going because you've got all the other hygiene factors to worry about before you can actually focus on your business plan. You've got to worry about reception and cash flow and, and buying the milk so that there's coffee in the office and a million one things that usually are taken care of, okay, where the entrepreneur can just focus on one thing and getting that one thing right. So your chances of success are mitigated tremendously as a result. Yeah, but also just to add on what Gil is saying is that the, you know, the discipline to execute 
is everything. So, you know, the ideas are there. Um, but the discipline to execute on that idea is a different story altogether. And I think a lot of people, you know, these young stars that I saw this morning, spend all this time on this concept. And then once you started getting to the details about, okay, let's get into how you're going to execute on it. I mean, these guys were just looking at me like, okay. Deer in headlights sort know, of thing. Yes. You know, it's like, what are you saying? Mm. So it's the discipline to execute on that idea and the process to get to that. Uh, that's almost non-existent. The whole ecosystem actually in South Africa is against entrepreneurs. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Uh, yesterday, last night, actually, um, Jason Levine from Elevate, Elevation Holdings released the um, uh, Unicorns, Gazelles, and Leapfrogs report, which was an independent and objective piece of research into, do you know about it, Gills Nodding? So anyway, so I was there, and one of the stats that just blew me away was the fact that there's 340 capacity development entities in South Africa. And when I heard that number, I was like, holy shit, that's insane. And then I have to, you have to ask, but where's the output? Do you know what I mean? Where's the quantifiable output? Yeah, and in fact, just for the record, for someone like me who's supposedly a shark, an investor, in the know, all of that, I didn't know about this. So if I don't know about it, okay, I'm looking to raise money all the time. I'm looking to disperse money, to invest. If I don't know about it, then, you know... Who, who else doesn't know about it that needs to know about these things? And clearly, you know, there are a lot of initiatives, but there is no central coordinating authority, either from a government perspective, a civic perspective, or a private entity perspective that's coordinating these efforts. You know, if you look at the cities that have succeeded entrepreneurially, there was a coordinated, centralized effort that went about putting all these entities together in, in a controlled, process-driven manner. That doesn't exist here. It's each man for himself, and everyone's trying to get by with whatever they can, and they're spending a lot of energy hustling as opposed to just getting the job done. I mean, if you look at what the corporates are doing, every corporate that you chat to today is somehow involved in supporting entrepreneurs. But everyone is doing their little bit, their little bit. No one is coordinating all that effort to create a genuine, supportive ecosystem that can take and propel South Africa into, you know, the next Silicon Valley. You know, you got Stellenbosch doing its own thing there with Silicon Cape and whatever. You got somewhere in Joburg, these hubs in Joburg. Everything is a hub, 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 hub. But actually, it's a hub, a hub, a nothing. <laughs> if you know what I mean. You know, when you talk scale and when you talk global significance and impact, you want things to come together. You know, that's what scalability is all about. We know everyone is doing, I mean, how many corporates are doing some innovation stuff around supporting entrepreneurs? Everyone. Every bank, every and, insurance and company. And let me tell you what they're doing telco. it for. They're doing it to promote their brand. Yeah, no. You know, not really to support yeah, yeah. entrepreneurs. They do along the way, but most corporates are doing it to support their brand and get some kudos out of it. Mm. Not really to create an industry and a genuine long-term sustainable industry where we can finally say we are making an impact in the world and to make an impact in the world today you need scale yeah totally agree can i ask an obvious question though because this is all very fresh from yesterday whose responsibility is it who's going to conduct the orchestra for instance so there was the one of the feedbacks was that it's bullshit there's no orchestra or director that's required that no one needs to um, effectively coordinate between these these ind individual entities for the simple reason that we must just get fucking started just get it gone. He said. He basically said, if Gil Ovid and Romeo Kamalo and Matt Brown all do their jobs properly and get on with it and do a great job, that'll be the start. The same applies to corporates. The same applies to incubators. The same applies to government entities. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So I mean, there is a you know um, you know I, I agree with it to to a limited extent that of course you know you can't wait for somebody to tell you what to do so you get started, and we've seen the results of getting just fucking started as you put it where, you know, you've seen all the companies coming out of the ecosystem that's been created down in Stellenbosch. You've seen some of the success that's coming out of some of the hubs that have been created. But if we want to create real impact, and here I'm talking as a country, I'm not talking about pockets of excellence, because it's, it's all good to have pockets of excellence where people get there by networking, by connections, by being able to get to the right place at the right time. Uh, but if you want to create a culture of entrepreneurship, a long-term 
sustainable culture of entrepreneurship, then I say you need the orchestra, you need the conductor. You, know? you don't need the conductor to get going, but you need the conductor to have impact. And at a, at a world stage level, you, know, you need a conductor to have that kind of impact. But yes, I mean, entrepreneurs will, whether there's a conductor or not, entrepreneurs will get on and do what they do best, you know? And it'll be survival of whoever can make it. I, t- I totally agree. Uh, so to clarify, I do not agree that things will just happen miraculously. This isn't the invisible hand of the economy taking shape. So let's define this. Will entrepreneurs get on with it? Yeah, sure. That's what entrepreneurs do. But have no doubt that Silicon Valley, Tel Aviv, and Singapore did not happen by accident. It didn't happen through the invisible hand of some, a few entrepreneurs. There were entities at a very senior level who had access that created an environment that was entrepreneur-friendly and entrepreneur-supportive. And without that, rest assured, it would never have happened. And there are many case studies about the methodical approach that governments and private enterprise took together to get startup entrepreneurs to become the next unicorns. It didn't just happen. And it won't just happen. And certainly not in South Africa. We must acknowledge that. Yeah, I mean, the startup nation didn't just get started. Someone had to switch on the ignition. And so the same thing here in South Africa. I mean, look, we have other problems in this country. You know, we can't get Nedleg going you know, which is so vital to, uh, to the functioning of our economy, where you've got, you know, business, labor, and government around the same table discussing regulation, discussing things that uh, can help to move this thing forward. So if we can't get Nedla going, which is so vital and critical um, to the growth of this economy, then how are we going to get entrepreneurship going? You know, and so somebody needs to, you know, between the private sector, I mean, you would know uh, recently the private sector and government agreed to some fund, job fund, where the private sector would put in about a billion and the government will come up with that money, will create jobs. I mean, where has that gone to? It's gone nowhere. You know, so we just lack the ability to kind of work together as the private sector, as government, you know, to create a fund, a two billion rand fund, you know, which is not a lot. How are we going to work together? to make sure that we create the right conducive environment for entrepreneurs to, to thrive. Why are South African great entrepreneurs going to Silicon Valley to go and make it? Why are South African you know, great entrepreneurs all streaming to New York to go and sell their ideas here? You know, when actually it can be done right here. I mean, just imagine if a Vinny or a Ruloff, I mean, just imagine if they stayed here and created uh, solutions to the, to the continent, continent's problems. Okay, so used the energy, the skill sets, the passion, the charisma. Imagine they used it to solve African problems and in the process made a lot of money out of it because there is a lot of money to be made on the continent because it's got a lot of people, it's got a lot of problems, it's got a lot of resources and it's the only place in the whole world that's growing from a population perspective and it's actually relatively untapped. It's got all the resources in the world It's got a population that's currently at a billion. It's going to grow to 4 billion by the year 2100. So in the next, uh, you know, 83 years, it's going to quadruple. Whereas all the other populations all over the world, including uh, China, are going to plateau. Okay? There are no trains. Trains. and I mean, you know, Kenya's just now created this network and everyone's talking about it. The last time that happened was over 100 years ago. Okay? Now imagine we connected not just Kenya and Tanzania, but connected the continent imagine imagine how many more schools malls cinemas restaurants office blocks housing needs to be built and we can leapfrog all the legacy issues that europe and and you know aging economies have it's just so exciting and yet so frustrating and demoralizing at the same time so if you listen to the guys that um that have gone to Silicon Valley and gone on to make it, South Africans, uh, they'll tell you, it's not capital. Yes, you can raise capital here in South Africa. You can still raise capital while you're here. The big, 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 you know, driver for how um, Silicon Valley works or even Singapore works, it's it's the ecosystem. It's being there 
while everything works. It's the whole ecosystem, the raising of capital, the mentorship, the, the networking, the ecosystem works. You know, in a small way, you're seeing the success of that kind of ecosystem in Cape Town, in Silicon Valley, you know, uh, in, in Silicon Cape and, and Stellenbosch. Because what they've tried to do is to replicate that kind of ecosystem where there is capital raising, where there is, you, you can raise seed funding, you can raise uh, Series A funding, you know, business at different life cycle can, can approach the right capital at the right time, you know, where you can, up- here, you know, very, very difficult. I mean, these youngsters that I saw this morning, you know, they just need somebody to guide them. They need, um, you know, seed capital to, to develop what they want to develop. They need to, somebody to kind of mentor them so that they can do the right homework. They were onto a great concept, but there's a lot of work that needed to be done before they could actually, you know, go and find funding. Yeah, Gil, you mentioned um, Vinny's name just now. And funnily enough, Vinny was one of the guys that Jason interviewed. And he said, listen, if there was one thing that South Africa could do to stimulate the ecosystem, what would that one thing be? And you know what he said? We need to adopt a capitalistic mindset and approach. Do you agree with him? Yeah, I think uh, to a certain extent I do. Uh, but you've also got to take the, uh, the environment into account. Uh, and you also have, we are not a developed economy. You know, we are not the United States of America, you know. Uh, but having said that, I think the point that Gil was making about leapfrogging our challenges, and I'd like to put it as that, leapfrogging our challenges, you have now the opportunity where you can use technology to leapfrog our challenges. You have the opportunity of attracting the right capital onto the continent. So, yes, you've got to think like a capitalist, but we are developing. We are, we are China. We are India. Um, we are Brazil. And so the thinking is going to be different from uh, the more developed economies like Germany, United States, Europe, and all the others. You know. Cool. Um, can I pick up on a tweet uh, that you put out not so long ago? I do my research, by oh the way. Goodness. <laughs> am, I, am I paying for my... Is this, now, is this me now paying for, uh, for things I've said in the past? <laughs> you are your social. <laughs> so basically your tweet went, quote... A neglected requirement of economic transformation is the need to fix the broken school system. Do you remember that, in quote? Uh, I actually, I read that too. I don't know if Romeo knows this, but I actually, you know, I don't follow a lot of people on Twitter because I'm very selective and discerning about that. So I generally follow entities, you know, like the news services and stuff. And then a few people that I believe... um, have some smart things to say, and Romeo is actually one of them. I don't think he realizes it, but I've got a, an alert every time he uh, tweets things. Oh my goodness! And I, uh, I read that. I read that, and uh, I got a smile on my face because uh, I, I really I believe that so much, so much. Look, why is it broken? So first, let's start by looking at, you know, what do we do? So Vinny says you need to think like a capitalist. Yes, of course. Uh, but because of our history, you know, we have legacy issues in South Africa. And there's so many things to fix in South Africa. I mean, you listen to the radio, you read newspapers, the media, you can be so depressed about where do you start? You know, there's unemployment, there's poverty, there's all sorts of things that we need to fix. But if there's one thing that I know definitively that if, the, if it were to be fixed properly, we would get everything right. And for me, that's education. Because it's just the one thing that, I, that I'm so passionate about and that I know that if done correctly, um, it will fix all the other ills that we have. And it's not even think about, you know, the, the tertiary education system or, you know, the universities, colleges. I'm talking about basic schooling. Because if you get the basics right, at primary school level, I'm not even talking at primary school level. So if you look at the, uh, the World Bank report on how we are doing in maths and science uh, against other similar economies, I mean, we are terrible. It's horrible. Now, you can't fix these issues at, at high school level, at university level. You know, you can't expect entrepreneurs, you know, suddenly to emerge where, you know, we're fixing world problems and we're fixing African problems at university level. You know, it's like expecting some magic to happen at, at the senior, uh, you know, Springbok team or Bafana Bafana when you haven't fixed the, the basics around development. This is know? a football. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's expecting magic at Springbok level when the school rugby system, um, you know, doesn't show any positive results. You know, it starts at school level. You know, these 
the senior brilliant players that we see today in the Springbok wearing a Springbok jersey were the great anyone will tell you hey I used to play rugby with that guy he was fantastic at high school you know now he's wearing a Springbok jersey it didn't start now you know so you know the the education system is everything if we're going to compete globally and be competitive and here it goes down to the core of our competitiveness our economy being competitive you can only do that if you fix the schooling system and i, I don't want to be a, a naysayer so it's, so the silver lining to all of this the silver lining is as much as it's really broken it can be rectified very quickly and very efficiently if there is will at the top to do so. And the reason I say this is because of one word, technology. You see, the beauty is that technology creates exponentiality in anything you discuss. Anything you talk about, technology equals exponentiality. And our brain functions in linear ways. We, we think, you know, two, two forward, one up, two forward, one up. That's a linear relationship. And that our brain understands quite easily. Brain struggles to understand exponentiality. And I always think about this because if you think about what can be done with ebooks, where all of a sudden, you know, you could equip the average school kid with a 300 Rand or 400 Rand smartphone. I and mean, just think about how much a book costs to print, add the distribution and logistics costs, and the fact that once it's printed, it's permanent. If you want to update the curriculum, you have to print another book. And here, if you were to equip each child with a 300 Rand smartphone, which is what these smartphones are coming out with, and each app represents a different subject, updated in real time, where you are able to share information, track results, examinations. Firstly, the irony is it'll be cheaper. But way more importantly, it'll be far more effective. And there are no legacy issues. And you've got MNOs like Vodacoms of the world that will support. Because right now they're spending already a lot of money on CSI projects and stuff like that. So it's about channeling all those efforts. Imagine, just crazy, crazy thought. Imagine you went to all the MNOs and you said, listen, contribute a percentage of your profits in pro rata to your you know, profit profit contribution to the industry and contribute to this education fund that technologizes every school kid. They're already doing it to some extent, to a good extent, as much as they can. But imagine it was coordinated and all of a sudden every kid had technological access. Okay. I mean, what a game changer that would be. We could jump from the lowest to top 10, top 20 within three, four, five years. So what I'm talking to you about, Matt, is, is not something that can happen over 50 years or 30 years, not, not in the next generation. I'm talking about right here, right now. And we could see immediate, immediate results. How cool would that be? So you, you heard, just to add on that, you heard about the issues in, uh, in the Northern Province, delivery of textbooks Absolutely, and yeah. all of that. No, all of that nonsense can be eradicated tomorrow by digitizing the, uh, the, the school system. Why are we not digitizing the school system? The rest of the show is coming up shortly. But now a quick word from just two of our sponsors that help make this show possible. Platform 45 are Ruby on Rails developers who build design-driven software for web and mobile. Over the past decade or so, they have deployed tens of millions of lines of code and have built software for the likes of NASA and built platforms for five different startups now that have valuations in excess of $100 million. They also give back to the community of programmers through their events, We Think Code and Code and Coffee. So for more information, send an email to hi at platform45.com or check out some of the rad stuff they have built by visiting platform45.com. On the 27th of July, that's a Thursday, Suits and Sneakers and the Matt Brown Show will be launching an event called Cryptocurrencies, Blockchain, Bitcoin, and the Future of Money. This will be a live podcast with a real audience, and I'll be discussing how these disruptive technologies are impacting the shape and future of business. We'll also be exploring what its implications are for decision makers, whether you're living in a corporate environment or whether you're running your own business. 
Our panelists include South Africa's definitive experts on the subject of cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and Bitcoin, and include the likes of Simon Dingle from Phantom Design, Vanner Van Royen from Lumo, Fazam Esani from RMB, Lorin Gamaroff from Banky Moon, and of course myself. So this is an event not to be missed. It will be held between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. at the Suits and Sneakers co-working space in Pelo in Greenside in Johannesburg, and will include a bit of a networking session. The best part is that this event is actually free, but seats are limited and tickets I can guarantee you with panelists like this will sell out quickly. So head to qkt.io forward slash crypto c-r-y-p-t-o that's qkt.io forward slash crypto to book your seat while they are available can i just ask a question that's burning in my head right now um you're the former ceo of verticom okay so when you look at corporate south africa take gil's point they're doing what they can quote unquote right is corporate South Africa, and I know it's not only their problem, but is corporate South Africa doing enough? Look, I think corporate South Africa is doing what it can do. And I think that uh, there's a, a lot of work uh, and a lot of good work that is being done by corporate South Africa, by the foundations of the different companies. I think the, the problem right now is it's not being coordinated and it doesn't have the impact and scale that it should have on the country. And that's because, in my view, on the other side, they don't have a partner. And that partner is government. That partner is labor. That partner is parents. Because you can't create this thing on your own. Money doesn't solve all the problems. You know, corporate South Africa has got the money, and they are doing all sorts of things and innovative ideas and promotions and work around all the foundations that they have, you know, spending the, uh, their enterprise development money. But nothing is reaching the kind of impact and scale that we should be having because it's uncoordinated. So here's an interesting question. So the reason why I do this podcast is to basically grow entrepreneurships and inspire people to be, to live the best life that they can possibly live, but also to make a difference. And that's really, I mean, you guys are, you know, poster childs, I suppose, for, for that kind of organizing principle. So I have a question for you. You were talking about technology right? Can entrepreneurship be taught? I think entrepreneurship comes in various forms, just like leadership. Some people are flung onto it. Some catch it by surprise. Others are born. I don't think there are rules. And I think it's very dangerous in life to say things about yourself that define you because by by definition, you, you limit yourself. So when someone says, oh, I'm not creative. I'm an accountant. I'm not creative. Well, firstly, accountants are the most creative people in the world. Well, the good ones are. And so these are dangerous statements. Oh, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not entrepreneurial. You, you don't know until you've done it. I've, I, I, for example, me, I, I didn't know the word entrepreneurship until well after I was an entrepreneur. What I knew is I left school and I loved TV production, and I wanted to, to do it. So I started doing it, and I ran a company doing it, and then one day someone said, oh, oh you're an entrepreneur. I was like, oh, strange, that. <laughs> so that's what it is. And then you've got other guys who sit in corporate, and they'll come, and they'll, I'll speak to them for five years. Every day they'll say to me, I'm so envious of what you do. I want to be an entrepreneur. This is all I want. And then one day they finally make the plunge, and they become that. And they become entrepreneurs. There are many ways to skin the cat. Uh, so now, to answer your question, though, Matt, can entrepreneurship be taught? Absolutely, you can become a better X, where X is an entrepreneur, where X is a better sportsman, where X is a better anything. Okay, yes, you can become better at it. Uh, some people have natural talent. You know, my the guy who co-founded the Creative Council with me, Run. He's a natural entrepreneur. He is that guy that at the age of 10 was selling shit at school. Okay? Does that make him any better than a guy like me who only discovered that they were an entrepreneur well after they became entrepreneurs after school? Not necessarily. Because, you know, it doesn't matter where you start. This is what I was saying. Talking about the first step. Sure, natural talent is great. But there are lots of sportsmen 
who don't have the natural talent of others but are better players because they spend more time dedicating their, themselves to their craft and take good instruction and listen and are open. So, yeah, you can learn it, but you don't have to necessarily be naturally talented at it either. So before you jump in, Romeo, I just have to ask this question. But what's the spark? If it can be taught and the information was available, the content like my podcast was out there and it was distributed and freely available to anybody with a phone. And to um, Gil's point earlier about the 400 Rand smartphone, right? So we at 29 million penetration right now. That's how many people in South Africa have a smartphone. But that's going to change. But so assuming that we fast forward a year or two and suddenly that's looking at like 80% penetration. Now the distribution of content isn't a problem, right? So we can now, by some miracle, government somehow wakes up and then partners with corporate South Africa. Assuming we get there and you put that content onto, onto the, the masses phones, is your sense, well, there's two things. One, is your sense that they will take up entrepreneurship even if the information was there? And when you look at that barrier, potential barrier or situation perhaps, What's the spark? How do you spark someone to go, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to change the world? Look, I don't think you can uh, you know, inject the spark into somebody who doesn't already have the passion uh, to kind of you know, take up entrepreneurship and, and, and solve some problem and create a market and create a business out of that and make money out of that. I mean, I think that it's about, you know, it, it bogs down ultimately to, to the individual because you, you have to be passionate about this. Uh, whatever you decide to do, whatever field you decide to go into. And so I don't think you can, you know, miraculously just inject a spark onto people to start being entrepreneurs. The whole ecosystem, in my view, must work. You know, there must be information that's accessible. Entrepreneurship must be taught at school. You know, people must be taught about money at school. Because you start learning about money, entrepreneurship, business, only after university. I mean, really, it's not, you know, there's no subject called money at school. There's no subject at varsity called money. It's only when you're doing economics or you're doing, you know, uh, a BCom or something. But we need to start kind of creating the culture of entrepreneurship at school level. There has to be a subject at school level on entrepreneurship and how to handle money and where the opportunities are. Because then you come out of there knowing that actually, you know, the, the system in South Africa is designed for people to go through the schooling system and prepare them to go and work at Anglo-American. It's the industrial age process. Absolutely. It's designed, and our entire system is structured, and even the economy. We have an economy that's, uh, we have oligopolies and that are structured that the, the, our schooling system was designed for you to finish school, go to university, do your degree, and then find a job at De Beers, Anglo American, SA Breweries, you know, all those companies, you know. But it hasn't taken into account how the world has changed. And so, in my view, you need to kind of look at the entire schooling system. You need to look at universities reinventing themselves. I mean, Adam Habib talks about how Vert's, Vert's University is reinventing itself to, to position itself for the new digital economy. You know, I'm judging a competition next Monday at Vert's University where they're creating a jam lab for entrepreneurship. You know, that's exciting because Adam Habib, as, as, as the principal of the school, sees this change that's coming, that we need to prepare our students for the new digital economy. And if VETS doesn't go ahead, you know, doesn't position themselves for that economy, they're going to be, you know, um, irrelevant. And so in my view, the whole schooling structure in South Africa has become irrelevant, completely irrelevant. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, quick one, I just want to detour to the softer side of entrepreneurship, right? I think we've labored the economic challenges to death at this point. So, Gil, but I, it, it, with all these challenges, nothing beats passion. Eh? Yeah, no, if you want it, you're going to get it. By the way, that's the number one uh, characteristic that all those interview, the 30 guys who interviewed for that report identified as what they're back in an investor uh, and an entrepreneur. So if you're an investor, they look for passion first. All That's, these problems that we're talking about, yeah. they don't matter. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> my, oh my, we just wasted 30 my, minutes. My Twitter, de- <laughs> my, my Twitter description, first three words of my Twitter description of who I am is passion-fueled optimist. I think, he is. Yeah. That's it. It's so easy. That that's that's 80%. percent. And the rest of everything we've discussed over the past 45 minutes is is another 20%. <laughs> All right. Um, so I heard Rand speaking at Suits and Sneakers 4, and he put this graph up on the, 
on the uh, on his presentation. Basically, it's like you know when people look at entrepreneurship, it kind of looks like a very slow bell curve. Eventually, you get up to success. You know, it's like linear for a while, and then suddenly you get that bell curve up. But he said, in reality, it's like this. You know, it's and I'm moving my hand up and down like a like a stock trading graph. And so my question is, and I'm going through this phase right now as well. But when you down, it's really it's really fucking bad, right? And so you guys have been through this, I'm sure. Um, and many pe- of my listeners will be going through this thing right now too. What advice would you want to give an entrepreneur who's down in the dumps right now um, and he's potentially stuck inside the bustle, can't read the label? What have you learned about okay. picking yourself up mm-hmm. and getting up and carrying on? So very simply, if... If I have two entrepreneurs with exactly the same features in front of me, same business, same opportunity, two entrepreneurs asking for the same amount of money with only one difference separating the two. One guy had succeeded in his last three business ventures and the other failed in his last three business ventures. 10 out of 10 times, I would pick the guy who failed. 10 out of 10 times which sounds incredibly counterintuitive. But here's the deal. The absolute truth of business is that you will fail and you will fail many times. That is an absolute truth. How you pick yourself up and what you do about it, how you change your model, how you grow your confidence again, how you dust yourself off and start again, is what makes the difference between an average entrepreneur and a great entrepreneur. And I need to know that you have failed and succeeded. And if you've just succeeded only, it means that you just haven't experienced failure yet. And therefore you are an unknown in my case. I don't want to invest behind unknowns because I always invest behind the jockeys, never the horses. Business ideas and businesses come and go. The only thing that you actually look for is the jockey. And you need to know the jockey, when he falls off the horse, he'll get back up again. So for for anyone who's listening, who's going through this, understand that it is a critical component. And how you deal with it is what an investor would be looking for. Because it's inevitable that it'll happen. As for me, I've been through many failures. I call them breakdowns. And the one thing I realized after having had enough breakdowns and looking back at them, is that breakdowns always, in retrospect, end up being breakthroughs. Breakdowns equal breakthroughs. You don't see it at the time, obviously. But upon reflection, and I encourage anyone who's going through a breakdown to look at previous breakdowns, and isn't that the moment that was actually defined more as their breakthrough? And very often, your success is defined by your failure as opposed to other previous successes. I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs And whenever you ask them, what are your biggest lessons that you've learned? They always talk about their failures. They never talk about their successes. Yeah, true that. No, look, I mean, I agree with everything that that Gil has said. It's the the valley of death. You know, it's... um, you know, I, I sympathize uh, with with what the guys are going through right now if you're going through that. But if you can get through that valley of death, you know, to the other side, and 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 what gets you through it's not just all the you know the resilience the determination the strong will and everything else but it's really believing in in your vision in the bigger if you don't believe in your vision then you have then you're going to give up you know it's like running a marathon you know it's a it's a long way you got to pace yourself you know you can't just shoot up and then you know 10 to, you know 10 kilometers down the line you finish if you're running a marathon you think about the finish line. It's everything. It's about pace. It's about knowing that I've got an uphill coming. Now, if you're going to shoot up this uphill, just understand, or you're going to you know, shoot up the downhill, just understand that you're not going to be prepared for the next uphill. You know? So it's about being able to get yourself through that valley of death, getting onto the other side and knowing what the end game is. If you don't believe in your end game, you're going to give up. And for the record, given that Romeo has just completed his second Comrades Marathon, and did it in sub nine hours. Uh, the uh, marathon uh, analogy is really uh, apt. And and for those of you who are listening and can't see this, 
Uh, Matt is doing the famous <laughs> I'm not worthy <laughs> Wayne's World <laughs> thing <laughs> to Romeo. <laughs> oh, that's fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to talk about decision making because it's also a key quality, right? Perseverance is one uh, key characteristic, but decision making is another. So I want to talk to you guys about your experiences in opportunities because some opportunities might come around and they might be right, but they might not be right for you. How do you decide what opportunities to pursue? And I'm not just talking about investment opportunities. I'm saying in general and in your experience, what anecdotes or stories can you share about um, how you approach what opportunities to chase and which ones you don't? Because as Howard Saxton was uh, describing to me, he said, you know what, Matt, in life and in business, there's only two problems. No choice and too much choice. And you need to find the road in the middle somehow. What are your views? Look, decision-making is a critical component of leadership. Whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you run a, a corporate big business, you're a CEO of a corporate business, whether you run a household, you're a husband in the house with your wife, whether you're a father, it's a critical component of just leadership in any capacity. So, you know, and over time, you become wiser, the experience, the failures. And so you develop a system and a process of how you make decision making. And, and the worst thing in life, really, this is the worst thing in life, is to make no decision and to just procrastinate on some key decision making. You have to make the call. And I know a lot of people in senior positions, you know, who just can't make the call uh, and who fail to make the call at the right time. You know, and want all sorts of analysis after analysis after analysis to make the decision. So what I'd say around decision making is you need to develop your own process of making a decision. And whether you make the right decision or not, that's besides the point. But once you've gone through your process quickly of how you are making that decision and you're satisfied that you've ticked all the right boxes in your criteria of making that particular decision, make the call. You know, but always make the call. I think the word opportunity is very dangerous for entrepreneurs. Um, very often, entrepreneurs end up drowning in a sea of opportunities. The problem is with drowning is you die, okay? And people don't realize it. And my definition of opportunities as far as entrepreneurs are concerned is as follows. Good entrepreneurs know what opportunities to take. Great entrepreneurs know which opportunities not to take. That's the difference. And uh, knowing how to say no, when to say no, is way more important than when to say yes. Entrepreneurs and opportunities, there will always be opportunities. But, um, you know, rather do fewer things better and be very focused about what you do and be the best at it. And often I ask people, and not just entrepreneurs, I ask people, I say to them, you know, what are you the best at? And they'll tell me things that they are good at. Some of them will even tell me things that they are great at. And, and so they'll say, I'm really great at this. Excel, or I'm great at. I'm like, oh, okay, but are you the best at it? Are you the absolute best, better than anyone else you know around you? And they're like, no, no, I'm not the best, but I'm really great. I'm like, if you want to be competitive in this environment, in today's world, you have to be the best at something or else there's someone who's better than you by definition. So someone is better than you. How are you expecting to, be comp to, to compete if someone's better than you? And very often we don't ask ourselves this question. We don't look in the mirror and say, I will be the best at something. And I, I call it finding your Billy Mitchell. And you may not have heard of Billy Mitchell. No. So, <laughs> but so I'm dying can, to know. <laughs> you can look up, a, a, it's a few minutes video. Billy Mitchell and Pac-Man. That's the thing to look up on YouTube. Basically, Billy Mitchell is the world's best Pac-Man player. He broke Pac-Man. He clocked it. He got to the end of Pac-Man where no man had ever gone before, not even the developer of Pac-Man. The developer of Pac-Man never thought that Pac-Man would, would end. He didn't know what the end was. He didn't know what happens at the end. He didn't develop the end. Pac-Man ends because it runs out of memory at a certain point. 
No one knew that until Billy Mitchell decided to become the absolute best player in Pac-Man. Okay? So that's great for Billy Mitchell. And my question to people is, what is your Billy Mitchell? And if you don't know the answer, find it. Just on decision-making, you can train yourself to make decision-making easier for yourself. And what do I mean by that? That over time, with the right um, experience, with, I call it filling up the toolbox. So you got a toolbox as an entrepreneur right now? Fill it up with the right experiences, the failures, the successes. The, fill up the toolbox. And in that toolbox, you're going to find your own process of decision-making. So decision-making is trained. You know, when you see a Gill or Warren Buffett making a, a billion-dollar decision just like that, because over time, the experience teaches you to kind of train yourself to make the right calls in life. And by the way, that comes with a lot of wrong calls previously. But you've trained yourself that you get, and every time you're learning, you're training yourself. But it has to be a conscious training of this is how I make decisions. And so you don't often you know, go ahead and repeat the mistake that you made the last time because you've trained yourself how to make the right decisions so that you can not repeat the mistakes that you've made in the past. So you know, fill up your toolbox with the right experiences so that you can train your decision-making to be right. Great stuff. Two more questions, guys. I'm just conscious of time. But uh, if you could get into a time machine and go back to yourselves when you were 20 years old and give yourself one piece of advice about life or business, what would that piece of advice be? For me, it is take more time to appreciate the present and what you've achieved. I, I, I don't live with any regrets, but if forced to find a regret, I'd say I regret the fact that with all the various things that were going on in my life, I never took time out to pat myself on the back, to appreciate the moment, to savor that experience, and then to look forward. Because as entrepreneurs, you're always chasing the next thing. And by the time you've achieved that objective, your eyes are already on the next prize. And what a shame it is to have spent so many years killing myself, sacrificing birthdays and anniversaries and special moments, sacrificing it for, for the sake of entrepreneurship, and then not to even take the time to enjoy those successes, even the small ones. Never take, took the time to celebrate them and enjoy it. And I've changed since then. I've fundamentally changed my approach. Whereas now, yeah, I still look forward, still very ambitious and hungry. But I'm so grateful for where I am in my life and so grateful for immediate successes and not just success and it's not just about entrepreneurship, just grateful for being alive and healthy and having family and friends and partners that I trust and love. And, you know, the one thing I always think about is the one date that everyone else will know that you won't is the date of your death. I don't want to sound morbid, but it's the weirdest thing. It's the one thing that everyone will know about you, except for you, when you die. <laughs> okay. And uh, you don't know when you're checking out, so you got to make a count. Yeah, look, you get one shot at this. I mean, this there's no rehearsal, eh? This is it. This moment, the three of us sitting in this office right now, this is not going to happen again. You know, there's no take two, you know? Mm. This is it, mm. you know? So, yeah, I agree with Gil. You make it count, and, you know, as a good old friend of mine says, you, know, you need to smell the roses while you're walking on the fairway. Um, for me, it's, uh, you know, I have no regrets, really. I've you know, been blessed immensely, and I really have no regrets. You know, at 20, I was doing things that other 20-year-olds were dreaming about. Um, but I think the one kind of what I would have done, like to do more as a, as a young startup, uh, to get you know, global experience much earlier in my life. You know, I think I missed out on that. And I think if, you know, an advice to, to youngsters is, you know, you know, we live in such a globalized world now, right now. You know, the world is not as, the world is so small right now. And so, you know, we, South Africans tend to be very myopic in their views and think that everything happens right here. We're just a tiny, tiny, tiny dot of the world economy. And so, you know, with technology, everything is opened up. So if you're a youngster right now, you've got to be thinking world, global. 
And so, you know, that's the one thing that I never had the opportunity of doing at a younger age, is to kind of think globally and kind of if you have an opportunity of getting global experience, go and get it and, and get it early in your life because it puts you in a different league. It puts you in a different league. You know, if you've worked in Singapore, in Malaysia, in Mexico, you've had the opportunity of seeing you're competing on a global level. It puts you in a different, you know, in a different league altogether. Yeah, so true. Uh, last question for you guys, and maybe Romeo, we'll, we'll start with you. But what's in it for you guys? Like, why do you do what you do? Can I answer for Romeo? <laughs> uh, yes, you can. Because Romeo actually had this conversation with me a few days ago. Really? Yeah. And so I'm going to take, speak, I'm going to tell you what he told me because it, it really moved and inspired me. And I think it's more genuine because it comes from me as opposed to him saying this about himself. We were talking about business and doing well and making money. And he said to me, you know, obviously I want to make money. It's important. And I want to succeed and I want to do well. He says, but I've had such a rich life experience. I've seen, I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. That material stuff doesn't move me. And so what I want to do is, whilst making money and doing well, I need to have a positive, substantial impact on the world around me. And uh, it, it very much resonated with me because I think you do get to a point where, you know, Great, it's nice to have nice fancy cars and clothes, whatever, whatever tickles you materialistically. But at some point, you actually realize, okay, and so what now? So really, so what now? You know? And, uh, and then you start thinking, okay, oh, gee whiz, if this doesn't get me excited, it used to when I wanted it and now I can have it and I'm not that excited, what is going to be the next thing? And, and what Romeo said is a deep, substantial, positive impact on the world around me. I love that. Romeo, can you answer for, for Gil? Well, look, we had this conversation. It's just so funny because we, we had it recently about, you know, what is it that, because we were discussing just, you know, the vision of what we want to do. And, uh, and I think we share the same vision. Um, and, then, and that's why, you know, we are, you know, friends, partners. It's really just about the, the, the profound uh, um, effect that we want to have in, in the world in a positive way. And I know, you know, it sounds a bit, you know, wanting to make a difference in the world. But Steve Jobs talks about, you know, and, and you know, making your own dent in the universe. Because, you know, how many rich guys at the grave? Do you compete at the gravesite to say, you know, who are the richest guys at the gravesite? No. But it's about making, you know, <laughs> Bill Gates could be doing so many things with his billions. You know, he's the richest man in the world. He could be on a yacht sailing the world with no care about what happens in the world. But here's a man who took a decision that he wants to eliminate malaria in the next 30 years. You know, using his means, his billions of dollars that he's made to kind of eliminate malaria, done. You know, employed the best microbiologists, put the best team in the world, funded the best research, and saying that's the impact that he wants to have, you know, in the world. Long after Bill Gates has passed on in this world, you know, he would have made his small dent in the universe by eliminating the killer disease, malaria. Anything else you guys want to add? Final comments? I just want to say that I think what you're doing is incredible and so important and uh, very often unsung. And uh, so I guess for, to anyone who's listening, I think praise to Matt for taking the initiative. It's not easy uh, bedding down people like us and, uh, you know, doing all of this. And I think it's very admirable, but more, more than that, it's just so crucial for our economy to have these conversations and have them often. So last word, before you switched on the mic and we went live, uh, we were talking about how depressing it can be to listen to news and, you know, and to read the media about what's happening in the country. Um, and I just want to say to people that are listening that, you know, there is hope. And hope is entrepreneurship. Hope is your dreams. Hope is how you want to change the world. And so, yes, we are going through so much in this country and the world is going through turmoil. You know, the only certainty is uncertainty. And so, you know, your dreams are going to drive 
you know, your next move yet. And so don't be discouraged by everything that's, you know, happening around the world. The world is coming to an end. No, man, there's just so much we can do as a collective to kind of be positive and make this world a better place. So news about the Matt Brown show this week. When I first started podcasting, you know, I never dreamt that just 18 months later, I would have loyal listenership in over 100 countries around the world. Over the past few months, I've received numerous requests from people asking for help in relation to helping them build their own branded content media platforms like The Matt Brown Show. So after much pushing from my peers, I've launched a new company this week called Matt Brown Media. And it's a company that designs and builds podcasts for business owners and brands who want to tell their story in a fresh and exciting way to the audiences that they're trying to reach. And why wouldn't you want to jump into this space? There are currently over one and a half billion Apple iTunes podcast subscriptions. That's effectively a quarter of the planet Earth, and it represents the next new wave in South African media. So to celebrate the launch, I've written a report. Yeah, you could actually call it more of an ebook, actually, but it's called the Pod Power Series. It's a four-part series which explains how I built Matt Brown Media using the Matt Brown Show, and we'll walk you through the details of the world of podcasting. Simply go to mattbrownmedia.co.za forward slash podpower to download this free guide. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Matt Brown Show. It's been an absolute privilege having you with us. And remember, if you'd like more information on Digital Kung Fu or our guests and the full show notes... All you have to do is head on over to digitalkungfu.co.za and you can catch us all over the social media graph. So till next time. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.